Oh, I think the Russians hacked my Kindle. There we go. Take your Bibles this morning, and we are going to start a new series through a little book. It's called the Book of Titus. Have you ever read the Book of Titus? And uh, these are ancient words with, well, they have modern power. I think if you really wanted to know what the church ought to be, you probably wouldn't take a survey of the lost world. That got popular about 20 years ago, going to lost people, saying, what would it take to get you to come to church? And so then we formed the church to what lost people want. Now, I'm sure we could always do better in hospitality and do better in the things that we do, and we always want to try to strive for excellence. But at the same time, there's something that in my heart, the idea of going to lost people and asking them what they wanted in church just didn't seem right. At the same time, sometimes we try to do that even with us. And there's something that even uh, seems weird or wrong about that. What do you want to do? And people have said for years the church is a democracy. Democracy. Something never seemed right about that either because when I read in the Bible, I read about Jesus being the head of the church being the king of the church, those are not very democratic terms. In fact, the church is what we would call a theocracy. I'm not the head of the church, and you're not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body. The sheep, he is the shepherd. The, shepherd don't, uh, the sheep don't guide the shepherd. The shepherd guides the sheep. And so everything has to be focused upon the Lord. And so that leads me to this premise if we want our church in 21st century America to be what God wants it to be, maybe we should ask the Lord of the church. Maybe we should find out what he said, and there's no better way to find out what he said than to read a book like Titus. Because Titus was a pastor of a church, and Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling Titus how to set up a church in all places in Crete, that island nation. And as he is setting up this church, he's setting up a church in a Gentile area. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, you'll find that the church was very, 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 very Jewish at its conception. But as it begins to move into Gentile territory, which I'm glad it is because I'm a Gentile... And uh, as we think about that, does it make sense that God might call a Gentile to be the pastor of the church? Well, it's not necessary. Uh, there have been Jewish people that have done a very good job of pastoring Gentile churches. Paul was a Jew, for example. But there also are the times and cases where God puts a Gentile with a Gentile congregation and a Gentile culture because Titus, being that Gentile, would kind of understand them and relate to them. See, uh, Titus wasn't raised with circumcision. He wasn't raised with sacrifices. He wasn't raised with Passovers and all of those kind of things that were in the Jewish law. We talked last week about the three tithes that the Jews were commanded to pay and how the New Testament is a different standard, a standard of generosity, giving everything to the Lord. Well, Titus would be more 
tuned in to grace. He wouldn't have those problems of the legalistic system to overcome or get out of his system. And so he could relate to them uh, very well. Paul wrote this after his first Roman imprisonment. And uh, he is... um, Let me see. I forgot. Uh, Going to Macedonia. That's what it was. And uh, while he is there, he writes this letter. He wrote this letter about the same time that he wrote the letter to 1 Timothy. Now what that tells us is Paul is coming to the latter part of his life and his ministry. And he's thinking forward. He's thinking forward. We've got to pass this torch on to a new generation, to quote John Kennedy. Well, that was on Paul's heart. So Titus is that new generation. Timothy is that new generation. And so First and Second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles because they are written to pastors. Now, doesn't it make sense that what God says to the pastor is revealing his will for the church, for the congregation? So we're going to find out in God's ancient words to Titus modern power about the way God wants his church to be in any situation. So we're just going to look at the introduction and there'll be plenty for us to talk about in, uh, in that. So Titus chapter 1 and let's beginning in verse 1 and we'll go down to verse 4. Titus 1 verse 1. Ready for it? If you found it, say amen. Okay, let's read it. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Now when you look through those words, sounds to me like Paul might have been a Calvinist. Doesn't it? You find election and the sovereignty of God in there. In fact, he goes on to uh, talk about that this faith, the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth uh, resulting in godliness. And that happens because of the hope, not the wishful thinking, but the confident assurance of eternal life, the real life, which God who doesn't lie, cannot lie. He promised when? Not at the time you were saved. Before the ages began. And God is the one who at the proper time, the time of his choosing, he manifested this word through the preaching, the preaching that Paul had been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. See all of that? Who's in control of all of this? Well, it's God. Everything from start to finish, it's all God, and it's God working through his people. And just as God was working through these first century Gentiles and this first century Gentile pastor through the preaching of a first century converted Pharisee, God is still working today 
as his word is passed on. 2 Timothy 2.2 tells us that we are to take the things that we have received and we are to pass those on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I think about that and I think about how we are handing off the baton to another generation and we don't want to stumble, we don't want to fall, we don't want to mess that up. Uh, Does that ever happen? Well, I think there are times when God calls somebody home and it never entered that person's mind that they were going to die at the age or the time that they passed away. Not everybody dies at the age of 95. Not everybody dies knowing that they are going to die. Not everybody dies prepared to die. Um, A lot of the uh, Jews would say something like this, Is this the day I die? I've heard Native Americans would say, this is a good day to die. Well, I think it's good to think about our death. Not in a morbid way, not in a way that just preoccupies everything, but just to ask the question, if today was the day, through some unexpected means, would I be ready? And by being ready, I don't just mean, are you going to heaven? Now, if you're not ready to go to heaven... Let me tell you, there's no other way except to turn from your sins and to put your faith completely in what Jesus did on the cross for you and that he rose from the dead and to surrender to him as your Lord. Uh, I hope you're ready. And if you're not, I pray that today is a day of salvation. But I want to talk to those of you who you know for sure that you would go to heaven, but maybe you haven't really passed the baton on in a proper manner. You know, races are won and lost, especially relays in this context, by the way that the baton is handed off. You want to hand it off in a way so that it is smooth. You want to hand it off in a way so that the person you give it to has, can stay in stride and uh, take off and run their leg of the race. And I would ask you the question, are we and have we, have you, let's put it personal, done that For the next generation. I think about all of the things I want my kids to know. And someday I'm going to tell them. I'm going to make sure they know that. Well what if today was the final day? Would I be ready? Would they have the knowledge that they need? Knowledge about the past. Knowledge about the family. Knowledge about their heritage. Knowledge about how Christ has worked in our lives. There are things with Taylor having a birthday the other day that I thought about that he was present for and we saw some miracles during that time. The only problem is he was a baby and he doesn't remember any of those. Does he know them? Is he understanding the miracle that he is? Is he understanding how God took care of our family when Sammy and I were young and when Taylor was an infant and how God sustained us through some very difficult times and he did it in some unusual ways. It was Wednesday night, folks. It was honey from the rock, that whole story. And as I think about that, my instincts would say, well, he knows all of that. And yet reading through this passage makes me think does he know it in the way that he ought to know it it's one thing to know a story that you've heard for years but you hear it through childish ears it's another thing to be a grown adult with your own family and to hear it again because that might be the thing that keeps him going through a lean time after I'm gone 
We've got to be ready to die. We've got to be ready to know that the gospel doesn't begin with us and it doesn't end with us. We've got to make sure there are people ready to go on. Who will be the next pastor of Graceway Baptist Church? You've only had three. Who will be the next one? Will it be a short term or a long term? Who will be the next pastor? Will it be somebody young or will it be somebody old? Who will be the next pastor? Well, I don't know. That's not my place to choose. That's in God's hands. But it's in my heart and my mind to make sure that when that time comes, that everything is in order for him, him, that's not politically correct, that's biblical, him, to take over, right? What about your Sunday school class? What about you as an elder? What about you as a deacon? What about you who work in Mission 405? What about you who, Jason just talked about the fall festival, and we appreciate all of the things that uh, they do to help our children and minister to them. But time is going to go by, whether you're young or whether you're old, and there's somebody that is supposed to take your place. I would ask you to pray about something. First of all, pray about this, that God would give you the opportunity to lead somebody to faith in Christ that will come here and be baptized and will fill your seat when you're gone. They'll sit by you when you're here, but they'll fill your seat when you're gone. We don't think about that. We think about that as kind of being the pastor's job or the Sunday school teacher's job. Let's take it personal. I want somebody to fill my place just in attendance when I'm gone. We've got to reproduce. We've got to reproduce. That's the Great Commission. And then think about this. Who will do my job and my ministry when I'm gone? That's one of the things that the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was excellent at this. He always had somebody younger that he was pouring his life into and that he was training. In fact, he felt so personal about them that somebody like Timothy, he calls them his child. And then in this passage we read, he calls Titus his child. What do you do for your children? You protect them, you provide for them, you spend time with them, you teach them, and there's a thing called legacy or heritage. You hope that you pass on things to them so that they can take up the cause for the family or for the faith or whatever it might be. Who is your Timothy? Who is your Titus? Has it ever even entered your mind that God wants you to help and to disciple someone else. That's not a profession. That's a calling for every believer. The Great Commission. Go and make disciples of the nation. So who is your disciple who is learning how to follow Christ because of you? Are you ready to go? You'll stand before the Lord one day for what you've done with your time, what you've done with your <clears throat> possessions, because they all belong to Him. You're going to give an account for what you've done with your opportunities, what you've done with your spiritual gift. Will there be anything to show except ashes? You want gold and silver and precious stones. I'll take that as an amen. Right? Uh, so when you think about all of these things, are you ready? Are you ready? 
And as I've been thinking about some of these things lately, I've been coming to the conclusion, no, I'm really not. God, give me enough time to do some of these things that I've not really thought of before. Maybe things that could be done better or some things that just require more time. And I would ask you to pray about that for your own life and your own ministry and all of that because we want to leave everything to the next generation and we want to leave it in good order. Is this a good day to die? Maybe, maybe not. Good because we're going to heaven, bad because maybe we haven't done the work that we're supposed to do to equip someone else to follow us. So just some food for thought. And as Titus talks about all of this, what relevance does this really have for us? Well, I was reading some background information, and there's a guy named James Van Dyne or Dean or something, I don't know. Uh, how to pronounce it, but he's got a very good statement here. He says, the theme of good works ties this letter together. And he gives several references there. When the assembly is properly ordered, chapter 1, verse 5, and dutifully instructed, chapter 1, verse 9, then good works will be promoted and Jesus Christ will be glorified. And so that's why Titus is receiving this letter. Things in the church, Paul is saying, they don't just happen just because. There's got to be some thought. There's got to be some conscious effort that is given in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, after all, Holy Scripture that we are to know and that we are to believe and that we are to obey. And so we want that to happen in our lives. Well, what would some of those things be? And the introduction gives us just a, a so much, so much that we can think about. And uh, there are four of them here. Number one, and that is respecting our foundation. Now, you notice here that the verse I'm pulling that out of, it says Paul. Well, that's going to go back to the guy that led Titus to the Lord, the guy that discipled Titus, the guy that uh, Titus considers a father, and Paul considers Titus a son. And Paul describes himself as a doulos, a servant, more literally a slave of God, and an apostolos, someone that is sent out on a mission of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you the question, where's the foundation here? Well, it's not Paul. Paul is merely a servant and a messenger of whom? Christ. So when Paul says this, even as he introduces himself, and even as Titus' mind goes back to, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving Paul. Thank you for his investment in my life. It really goes back not to Paul, but to Jesus. Oh, folks, there's always such a tendency in a church to look to man especially someone that impressed you or instructed you or corrected you or inspired you. Always so uh, much of a temptation to do that. In fact, have you noticed how many times we talk about things and we say, oh, Terry and Linda Carr, they went to John MacArthur's church. Really? It's not John MacArthur's church. He's the under-shepherd. We talk about people and say, oh, I used to go to Adrian Rogers' church. Used to go to Sam Cathy's church. 
used to go to, and we'll go on and on and on, Bailey Smith's church, and we put names with the church. I want to ask you a question. What do you think the Apostle Paul would say whenever we do that? I know we don't mean any harm, but I wonder what he would say. Have you seen those memes on Facebook where Batman slaps Robin? I got a feeling the Apostle Paul, when we would say, Oh, that person is a member of Brother So-and-So's church. It's not his church. He didn't die for it. He's a sinner just like you. And he was put there by the grace of God. No ownership. I am not. I received an email one time telling me I was a lousy CEO. You know what? I agree. I was never called to be a CEO. This is not my church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? And that's the foundation of the church. And every once in a while we say, yes, I know that, with no thought. And our actions and our attitudes turn to something else. I've heard people say over the years, boy, oh, so-and-so, man, they built a great church. Did they? Did they? Jesus told Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. Let me tell you something. If Greg Keenan or any other pastor is building the church, then we're in competition with Jesus and we're going to lose every time. And Batman would slap Robin again. No, you're not building the church. That's the Lord's job. That's the Lord's job. And if we build the church, and if it's built on the foundation of a man, it is doomed from the beginning. Because it's inferior craftsmanship, inferior material, and it is not going to survive the storms that are going to come. You see, just like the wise man's house, the church has to be founded upon the rock. Not a personality, not a program, not a congregation. It's got to be founded upon the rock of the Word of God, and that rock is, of course, Christ. Upon this rock, he said, I will build my church, and he was speaking of himself. And every once in a while, we need to say, what is the foundation of our church? Is it built upon the proper foundation? Is our life built upon the proper foundation? The workmen, they come and they go. The workmen are buried, but the work goes on. Why? Because it's founded upon Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of God. We need servants. We thank God for servants. <clears throat> and an apostle of Jesus Christ. We Thank God for those who have been sent. We thank God for those who wrote the New Testament. And we thank God for the apostles' doctrine. But we're not built on the apostles. We're built upon Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. Examine that. Number two, in this passage, we have to reiterate our purpose. Why are you here? Why did God create you? Why do you have the gifts you have and the talents that you have? Why do you lack certain gifts and certain talents? Why are you rich? Why are you not rich? Why do you have an extroverted personality? Why do you not have an extroverted personality? You see, we've got to look at all of this and realize that God created us the way that we are, put us together for such a time as this, 
and he has a purpose. And the purpose is not just simply so you'd have a place to go on Sunday morning. The purpose is not just simply so somebody could help you with a wedding or with a funeral. The purpose is not just so you could have some friends or anything like that. The purpose of it is found when we look here and see that Paul said that all of this happened for the sake of the faith of God's elect. And that's still true today. That's why we preach. That's why we sing. That's why we learn the word of God because we are ambassadors for Christ. And there are people out there that God is working in their hearts. He has prepared them. He is drawing them. And he is going to use you. Paul said it this way. Some plant and some water and some reap the harvest. He that plants is nothing. He that waters is nothing. And he that reaps is nothing. It's God that gives the increase. And Paul knew wherever he went, it didn't matter if it was Jerusalem, it didn't matter if it was Rome, it didn't matter if it was Ephesus, it didn't matter if it was Colossae, it didn't matter if it was Philippi, it didn't matter if it was Crete, it didn't matter if Paul was there, it didn't matter if Paul was not there. God was moving, God was working, God was calling out a people, God was establishing his church, and so Paul wanted to be involved in it, and he wasn't even in Crete. So we've got to understand God is bigger than us doing a worldwide thing and we need to be involved in it. Your life, your purpose for being here, our purpose for being here as a church is for the faith of God's elect, getting them saved. Now look at the next thing. And their knowledge of the truth. Once they get saved, they don't know anything. They're little babies. They may not even be able to spiritually crawl yet. And when they do crawl, you know what they do? They pick up every nasty thing they can find on the floor and put it in their mouth. And there's a lot of nasty stuff out there. A lot of nasty stuff that has Jesus attached to it. A lot of nasty stuff that is a perverted, twisted gospel. All kinds of things. And baby Christians are going to put it in their mouth. And you and I have to be there to say, oh, no, 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 and pick them up and pull that out of their mouth and make sure that they're feeding on the right food. That's our job. That's our purpose. Get them saved. Disciple them. And then look at the next thing that comes up. Their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. What's that talking about? Their life. So that they will live a godly life. Good works. Service, ministry, reaching their community for Christ, helping those who were poor, bringing justice where there is injustice. Micah 6, 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, love mercy, and then walk humbly with their God. They're not going to do that any more naturally than you do. That's got to be taught. That's got to be modeled. That's got to be worked on. And you and I work with that and we help them. That's our purpose. We've got to reiterate that. We're not here just simply for us. God's got a big plan, a big purpose, a big will in a big world. And Graceway Baptist Church is supposed to be involved in that. And the church can't be involved in that until and unless the members of the church individually are involved in that. So think about that. Sometimes I'm afraid we're more embalmed in it than we are involved in it. We just sit there and get stiff. We just sit there and no life, all dried up and everything because we're embalmed in the work instead of involved in the work. Get it? Number three, we've got to remember the command. 
Paul said we do this in the confident assurance of eternal life because of the promises of God that started before we ever came on the scene and they will continue on and they're manifested at the proper time and through the right people, through the preaching of his word and that word is entrusted to us by the command of God our Savior. Have you ever thought about that? How come you know the gospel and some people don't? Because God entrusted it to you. How are you doing with what he's entrusted to you? How are you doing with it? Well, I seem to remember there was a parable Jesus told about a master who went away and he had some stuff and he gave his stuff to his servants. And he gave one servant quite a bit of stuff. He gave the next servant less and he gave to the last servant one of his stuff, right? Bible calls them talents. I call them stuff. And what happened? The guy with a lot of stuff, he invested it and had more stuff. And when the master came home, he said, where's the stuff I gave you that I entrusted to you? And that guy goes, here it is, Lord. And look, I was able to add to it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Right? What did he say to the next guy? The next guy said, here it is, Lord. You didn't give me as much as he did, so I don't have proportionally as much. But look, I was able to add to it. It gained interest. And he said, good job. Good job, faithful servant. And then the one that just had the one, he said, I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose it. I was afraid. I knew you were a, a hard taskmaster, so I just buried it. Here it is. I got it back. And you know, the Lord called him a wicked servant. Let me ask you, if God has entrusted you with his gospel, and just for clarification, and he has, what are you doing with it? Do you find a way to share it? Well, I just don't have that many opportunities. Really? Because i got a feeling when you stand before the Lord, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to find out how many you had, but you had other things to do. You had other priorities. Or you didn't care, or you didn't love them enough, or whatever. So what is God's purpose in saving you and placing you in a body? Why is God working in your life? Are you just to set on what you have and not use your talents, not use your gifts, not use your opportunities, and for heaven's sake to not use the gospel? I don't think so. I think there's something wrong with your theology and something wrong with your thinking. The hope that we have in Christ should activate us. The sovereignty of God should motivate us. And the power of God, of the gospel, should excite us. This is a powerful thing that we have. It is the dunamis, the dynamite of God, Romans 1.16 says. And so we go out there and we see all of the things that the enemy has done to ravage humanity. Boy, he's having a heyday right now. What's the world's hope? Well, if we could just elect the right president, right? No, you're putting another sinner in the White House. Well, if maybe we could just kind of, you know, get people to think we're cool. Jesus actually put it this way. If the world hates you, they hated me first. I don't think we're going to win them over by the cool factor. By being nice. and You're such a nice guy. I think I want to repent of my sins and trust Jesus. I don't think that's ever happened. Now, I'm not saying be mean. I'm not saying be hateful. I'm not saying be hostile or anything like that. I'm saying use the weapons that God has given you. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. In other words, it's the gospel that we've got to major on and we've got to get to in everything we do. That's why God has placed you here, the purpose and the command to share the gospel with every creature that's what we are supposed to be doing. So check up. How are you doing on that? Does it even enter your mind? Is it something that really motivates you? Okay. Uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to alert everybody now. This is kind of spur of the moment. Next week, weather permitting on Sunday night, we're going to gather here. We're going to sing and we're going to pray. And then we're going to send you out to go reach people for Christ. Some of you may go prayer walk a neighborhood or your neighborhood. Some of you may go to the park, buy a couple of waters at 7-Eleven, go out there and push your kids in the swing and strike up a conversation with a stranger and try to tell them about Jesus. It may be that you make a hospital visit. It may be that you visit an absentee. It may be that you do something, but I think I'm going to call it lights out. You know what that sounds like? Flipping the switch and shutting them out in the darkness, right? Well, that's one way to think of it. But I've heard coaches, when they talk about their team, and they say, boy, the defense played lights out. They gave it all they've got. So I thought about that. Let's give it all we've got. Let's do something. Not everybody can do those things I mentioned, but you can think about it and find something that you can do. But here's another thing that I thought about. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. You know what we want to do? Get the lights out. Where it's dark. So I want you to think about that. You may come up with some ideas. You may come up with some thoughts. Your Sunday school class may want to do something. There may be you and a group of friends want to do something. I don't know. But I do know this. We're not going to fulfill the command of Christ until we get the light out of here and get it out there. Lights out. You got it? Will you do it? Yeah. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. All of us doing something. We don't all do the same thing. We don't always do the same thing the same way. But it's all for the same purpose. For the glory of Christ and the salvation of the lost. And then number four. Let's uh, finish this up. Notice here that we reinforce our relationships. Boy, the enemy is hitting us up in this day and age in the area of relationships. We're so divided and so isolated. So fearful all kinds of things enter our minds. And yet Paul ends this introduction after he says these magnificent things. He ends up by going to Titus. Hey, by the way, isn't it interesting that in New Testament letters they signed their name first? We sign them at the last. Wouldn't it be kind of nice to know who wrote the letter? Sometimes you get a letter, you open it up, Dear Greg, who wrote this? And you have to look in the back. Well, if we did it like Paul did, you'd sign your name up front. So as soon as you got it, you'd know exactly who it was from. Well, Paul does that, but then he goes down to tell us who it is addressed to. And he calls him to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Notice that words of relationship. Grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Boy, those are affirming, peaceful, confidence-building, faith-building words, aren't they, that he has. Why? Because he knew him by name. It's amazing. You've got to start somewhere. There was a time Paul didn't know Titus from Adam, as we say. 
But there was a day that they met, and Paul remembered, and Paul kept up with him. And Paul didn't just let relationships slip through his hands. He knew him by name. And notice that he uses in this relationship, he uses family terms. My child in the faith. And notice he talks about the common faith that they have. We're one in Jesus Christ. And then he prays for him. Grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Grace and peace. Grace the undeserved favor of God resulting in peace, not only from God, but peace, other places say, with God, the Father and Jesus Christ. The way it always goes. You can't have peace with God until you get the grace of God. And the grace of God only comes for those who were born again, those who have repented of their sin and trust only in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. So think about the issues that we've talked about here. Think about the foundation. What is your foundation? And it better not be in a man. Better not be in a man. Think about your purpose. You were put here and now the way you are in this time for such a time as this, like Esther. Think about the command that you have upon you. You are entrusted with the gospel. How well are you doing with that? And think about relationships. That we are related, we're one in the bond of love, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to love one another, help one another, encourage one another, and to do what Paul did, actually to pray for one another, not take one another for granted. So, where are you weak? You got it? Foundation? Maybe you need to be doctrinally more studious? Purpose? Maybe you need to accept the fact God made you the way you are and placed you in the time that you're living, not to talk about what some great hero did in the past, but to be a hero yourself as a soldier of Christ in this generation. Stand up and step up. Have you thought about the command? How many people have you told about Jesus lately? I didn't say how many souls have you won. You can't win a soul. That's the work of God. But did you share? Do you intend to share? Does it ever enter into your mind to share the gospel? You need to think about that. That's a command from the Lord. And you may be asking God for a lot of things and God is just kind <clears> of, <throat> excuse me, son, daughter, do what I tell you to do and we'll talk about all this later. There's a command in the Great Commission for you. And then what about relationships? Are you building them? Do you appreciate them? Are you a good friend? Do you seek to become a friend to other people? Do you try to find out other people's needs, hopes, dreams, aspirations so that you can help them and encourage them? Do you look and get to know other people so that you see their flaws, their weaknesses, their carnality, so that you can be a strength to them and help them along the way? Do you meet up with people and see their lostness and their depravity? And does that motivate you to pray for them and to share the word of God with them? Are we building those kind of lifelong, solid, spiritual relationships like Paul did? You say, well, Paul sometimes had some trouble. Yeah, I did. Remember, he sent a guy named John Mark home. We just finished studying his gospel. But Paul stayed so connected through all of that, he didn't just write people off and you never hear from them again. Later on at the end of his life, he tells Timothy, come quickly and bring Mark with you for he's profitable for ministry. Paul could admit when he was wrong. 
Paul could give somebody else a second or third chance. Paul was always looking for improvement. He didn't keep you in the category. There are some of you that because of what somebody did 20 years ago, you won't give them a break today. You need to stop that. They may be a completely different person now than they were 20 years ago. Give them a break. Give them a second chance. And know that the church, for its foundation and its purpose, the command of Christ and the relationship that we have with God and with one another, those are all supposed to work together so that we can function in a way to bring glory to Jesus Christ in a dark and wicked culture. And I want to tell you something. When there's darkness, light shines brightest and best, doesn't it? That's when the light is needed. And God has chosen you to be in this church in this time. Oh, what can we do with all of the darkness out there? Hold up a match. Light a torch. Say, well, that's kind of archaic. Okay, change batteries or light bulbs. Whatever you need to do. But let's let our light shine where it is the darkest because that only makes sense. We don't need any more of it in here. We've got all we need, the sufficiency of Christ and His Word. But we've got a lost and dying world. And the command that we have is to take the light into the darkness. Remember your foundation. Consider the purpose, right? Think about the command that God has given you and entrusted you. How well are you doing? And think about the tool that we have of relationships for the sharing of the gospel. And Jesus actually said, when you've done it unto the least of these, finish it. You've done it unto me. Let that sink in. And when you did it not unto the least of these, you did it not unto me. So God's giving us a wake-up call. He's ringing the bell. He's sounding the alarm. The trumpet is blowing. The bugle is sounding. The command has been given. You're going to be obedient. Or are you just going to continue on as usual and have your life count for little or nothing? This is where it is at. Foundation. Purpose. Command. And relationship. All by the grace of God that should be for the glory of God and God alone. Will you bow your heads? Father, as we look at this, we do a little bit of a checkup. How are we doing on the foundation? And I think that there are a lot of us who know intellectually, but when it comes right down to it, we put way too much faith in man. Way too much faith in the environment we're in. Way too much faith in our feelings. Instead of being founded upon the rock. And so we're foolishly building our house on the sand. And I pray that you would rescue those sand dwellers today. And transport them over to the rock that is Jesus Christ. Firm foundation. And I pray, Father, for those who feel like they're just in life, just drifting along, and they don't really matter. Will you let them understand they were called by you, by your grace, chosen in you from before the foundation of the world, created by you, 
by you and you have brought them to Jesus and you have gifted them and made them personality, spiritual gifts, everything for a purpose and such a time as this. Would you remind us of the command? And the command is not just learn about the Bible. That's important. The command is not just to attend church. That's important. The command is to take the gospel out of here and get the lights out in the world where we need to be sharing with other people. And while we're doing that, we're supposed to be building relationships so that we can leave disciples behind after us, so that we have an open door for the gospel as we talk to other people and get to know them. And so that we can do what Paul did, we can pray for people and pray intelligently for them. So Lord, help us to be shored up as a church for Graceway Baptist Church in these four areas. And the only way that happens is if our members are shored up in these purposes. So Lord, we ask you to do it because we know it's your will because you recorded it in your word. Let us be obedient to that. So that our faith is not a workless faith which is dead. But our faith is shown by our works. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. and We're going to conclude by giving you some time to think about and to respond to whatever God is saying in your heart. You may feel the need to come kneel at the altar. You're certainly welcome to do that. You may need to talk to somebody about becoming a child of God, a Christian, being saved, being born again. There are people going to the back of the auditorium now and they are trained and ready to talk to you about Jesus and being born again. Church membership, they can answer questions about that. They're here to help. What will you do? What will you do, not someday, but now, with what God has spoken to your heart about today? Do it. Do it now. And do it for the glory of God. Let's sing together. I hear